Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Yesterday, the other day, I was referencing the matter that what stories, what news accounts, what events in the world happen to not only be taking place, but being reported on. The import of those depends on who you are, what your circumstances are, what your situation is, and whether you have relationship with that nation, that city, people in the story. For many people, perhaps the biggest news story of the hour isn't being reported on at all. Perhaps the biggest event is much more than something that takes in one news cycle. Perhaps it's something that's under the radar and it's actually been going on for years and years and years, like the demise of the United States of America, courtesy of the virulent efforts of so many. Perhaps it's the murder of an 18-year-old young woman, Alyssa Ellsman, who was visiting New York City from Michigan with her 13-year-old sister, among others. And they happened to be walking down the sidewalk near 42nd Street, Times Square, New York City, when Richard Rojas veered his car up onto the curb and ran down the sidewalk for more than three blocks at high speed. Alyssa and her sister were apparently the first ones that were struck. Alyssa died at the scene. Her 13-year-old sister suffered serious injuries, undoubtedly grave injuries. There are four people that are in critical condition out of the 22 that were injured by this murderous attack from Richard Rojas. Now, following this, (laughs) he managed to attempt to flee the scene. When he was caught by a bouncer, of all things, he was questioned by police. He said that I wanted to kill them. He said, you were supposed to shoot me. I wanted to kill them. Well, people have taken this to mean he was actually just attempting suicide. That's all he was doing. Well, then why is it immediately after saying that you are supposed to shoot me, he said, I wanted to kill them. If he was just trying to commit suicide, how is it that he plowed through Alyssa and her 13-year-old sister, and kept barreling down sidewalk after sidewalk after sidewalk for more than three blocks. 
When I say sidewalk after sidewalk, yes, he's on the same side of the road, but he comes off of the curb, across the street, up on another sidewalk. And did not stop until the vehicle was stopped by a stanchion, which brought him to an abrupt halt and actually flipped the vehicle. But perhaps that's the most important story, the most gripping story for the Ellsman family and for her dear friends and loved ones. That trumps anything that the Donald is doing. Anything he was doing yesterday, anything he's doing today on his big trip, which he tweeted about, my big trip. It sounds so presidential, and it's me, 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 my big trip. (laughs) So mature, such an outstanding world leader. But unfortunately, he was the choice, the alternative, the option, the only one that we had. Instead of virulent, vicious, ruthless Hillary. Who has proven herself to be all of those things throughout all of her political life, and you could say predating it, but... Many people perhaps are more caught up with the tweeter-in-chief's big trip than with the tragedy of this family. There are plenty of tragedies on any given day, not only worldwide, But even in the smaller context of the United States of America, and then taking the smaller context of any given state, in any given city, and most any given municipality, there are tragedies on a daily basis. I know when I was living in the Southern California area, I would turn on the local news, and without fail, There were tragedies, not just murderous attacks, things like that, but people being run down in the road, hit and run, so-called accidents, on a routine basis that was just numbing. Many of the things that happen, do not rise to the level of tragedy. What comes to mind is the so-called Black Lives Matter movement, which is actually code for white lives don't matter. And no other lives matter but black lives. Whether those black lives happen to be Hoods, gangsters, thugs, rapists, murderers, pimps, prostitutes. It just doesn't matter what they are because they matter more than everybody else. They trump everybody else. 
And if you don't believe that, all you have to do is take a look at their communications. (laughs) Even though some of their backers, many of their backers, whatever, are races other than black. Reminds me of that uh, white journalist who's just so anti-white. His name eludes me at the moment. He's actually not a journalist. I I apologize for referring to him as a journalist. He's more of a kind of a tweeter like uh, the Donald. (laughs) But many of the things that happen, such as the multitudinous deaths by gunfire in Chicago, are Black gang versus black gang. And then the inevitable innocent bystanders that are murdered in the process. Which give ammunition, if you will, pun intended, for the Barack Hussein Obamas and Hillary Rodham Clintons and... Michael Bloomberg's to demand an end to firearms so that the good people, the honorable people, the honest people, the innocent people will not be able to defend themselves. The law-abiding people who will relinquish firearms and or not take up firearms and certainly not learn to use firearms will be unable to defend their families and loved ones and themselves and their neighbors from destruction by the destroyers. Whether those destroyers are small-time gangster thugs, serial murderers, serial rapists, or whether it happens to be, oh, I don't know, federal government regime takeover of the United States of America. Not that that could ever take place here in the United States of America, even though it did take place in Germany, in Italy, in Japan, in Russia, in China. (laughs) And the list goes on and on and on. But it could never take place here, even though the founding fathers were gravely concerned that it not only could, but barring the ability of the citizenry to protect themselves would happen here. But the president is on his big trip, his big trip. I just saw that, the the tweet. I don't recall what all it said, but it was about my big trip. It was like something I would expect from the Kardashians. Uh, But to reiterate the question from the other day's program and the program preceding that, if Hillary Rodham Clinton had been elected president, Would the media elites have been screaming and demanding impeachment of her when she summarily fired FBI Director James Comey? Even if she crassly called him a nut job, would they have been demanding 
that she be impeached? Would they really? Would anybody be demanding that she be impeached? I doubt it. I really doubt it. But anyway, the Donald, hard to feel sympathy for him. (laughs) Gosh, it is hard. It's hard for me anyway. But, oh, his idiotic, unbelievably mind-bogglingly idiotic and harmful remarks that he made regarding Hillary Rodham Clinton and Barack Hussein Obama. Do you remember? Let's go rewind for a moment. Back to when he was named the victor. And he communicates with her. He comes out with this statement for the world to know Oh, what a wonderful woman she is. What an outstanding public servant she's been. Oh, she has rendered such outstanding service to the nation. Not that he would have used a word like rendered. But anyway, he just glowed. He just gave her this incredible accolade. What an outstanding patriot and public servant she was, had been and was. And what a great debt the American people owed to her. I specifically remember him referring to that, saying that, and I just died, figuratively speaking. And he thought, again, it's back to, it's like George W. Bush. I can win these people over. I can charm them. He's clueless. (laughs) But anyway... Uh, Then, during the transition phase, which began immediately, essentially, do you remember the remarks that he had regarding Barack Hussein Obama and Michelle, the Obamas, but specifically Barack? How magnificent he was. What magnificent help he had provided. And oh, and he was so appreciated and that the new president, soon-to-be, would be conferring with him regularly. And he's just, oh, and on it went. And it is so hilarious. Meanwhile, Hillary and Barack and Michelle and Bill and Joe, I don't know about Hadassah, but Joe, And the rest of their organization, they've been doing everything they can to deny him the presidency after the fact. (laughs) They did everything they could to deny him the presidency prior to the election. (laughs) They've been working. Working is putting it a little bit too generously. But they have been scheming and conspiring and contriving to take it away from him since then. But, oh, he just, ah, he just elevated them so, so bizarre. But, you know, Donald Trump is, if you can get by all, all the brouhaha right now, he is the president 
for now, isn't he? He is the tweeter-in-chief. He is the thoroughly modern president. He is the dumbed-down president. It's just perfect for these times, right? For these desperate times in which we live. And the incredible irony is this, is that despite everything, despite his crassness, this materialistic, self-serving, womanizing, crass, coarse, faithless, superficial celebrity guy, he still, he still is such an enormous improvement over what we have had for the past eight years and what we would have had for the next eight years. Because despite the definite danger posed by his being used as a puppet by the likes of Dr. Henry Kissinger, Strangelove, despite the definite danger of that kind of thing happening, which is an all-too-real possibility, nonetheless, he, for all of his enormous limitations and fatal flaws, does not seem to be a destroyer. The same, I cannot say, for his immediate predecessor, nor for the one who would have been his immediate predecessor's successor. Here we are. This is May 19th. How long has Donald Trump been president? He was inaugurated on January 20th, I believe, I always get it confused between January 20th and January 22nd as far as the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton. Okay, he's been in office less than or essentially right on four months. Okay, just a little over 100 days, but four months now. And guess what? I mentioned the other day about Hillary Rodham Clinton forging a new political organization, a new political alliance, a new political group to further her agenda. (laughs) And now, here today, Joe Biden. Joe Biden, the former Veep, comes out. And he tells the world that, well, I never thought Hillary was a great presidential candidate. Oh, she would have been, you know, a good president, whatever. But I never thought she was a great presidential candidate. And the funniest thing is he followed that up by saying, I would have been a great presidential candidate. I mean, humility to the nines, right? Humility to the maximum here. Joe Biden states that I never thought Hillary 
was a great presidential candidate. And his next breath, he says that I himself, Joe Biden, would have been a great presidential candidate. He then dips his toe in the presidential pool and goes on to say, well, you know, we, I haven't decided about whether I'm going to run for president or words to that effect. But then he goes on to say, but things are so desperate and the American people are, have just about had it and so on and so forth. And, you know, something has to be done. And, well, he gave every indication that for the good of the nation, that he's going to sacrificially pursue the presidency. He would be 78 years of age, it said, if he were elected. I don't know if that would be the same age he would be when he would take office or it would have clicked another year past and he'd be 79. But Joe Biden, the use of the word great is so greatly exaggerated, as is the use of the word love, as are some other words, uh, <laughs> as are any number of descriptions that are used. And I've seen people who will, <laughs> in a given interview, they will use the term great, you know, multiple, multiple times. That's rather ridiculous. But as far as candidates go, yes, Hillary's a horrible candidate, a horrible person, a brutal politician. But her hubby, marriage of convenience hubby Bill, who is as coarse, as crude, as crass, as vulgar, as any human being has ever been. But in addition to that, in my view, is worse than that, is evil as a destroyer, not just a perverter and destroyer. A perverter, uh, but beyond that, a violent, violent perverter and destroyer. But Bill, I can listen to. I can listen to his speeches. It does not pain me to listen to his speeches, except that I know that every other word is a lie, but it's not painful for me. Whereas Hillary, I literally couldn't stand hearing her. The same was true with, for me with Barack, and the same was true for me, frankly, with, with Donald. But the worst of them to listen to, as far as I was concerned, was Hillary. I just is just torture, a form of torture. If, if I'm ever in that situation, this, the fiends want to use the Chinese water torture, the strongest thing they can do is just turn on tapes of Hillary Rodham Clinton. And that, boy, that'll do it. Uh, but Joe Biden, Joe Biden is a bare-knuckle brawler. If you've never caught a glimpse of that side of Joe, it's a very big side of Joe. He is an absolute bare-knuckle brawler. He is a blue-collar, rough, tough, 
uh, I would liken him to uh, Frank Sinatra, who was known for being a dirty fighter. And Joe Biden would have been a much stronger candidate in that regard is that he he would have just teed off. He always comes out with some outrageously stupid things, as does our president, our current president. So they have that in common. Uh, They've both had charmed existences with the exception of Joe Biden losing his 35-year-old son to brain cancer this past year, which is tragedy, is tragic, tragic loss. And I do believe that that impacted his decision on whether to perhaps enter the presidential race, albeit belatedly, because of how things were going for Hillary, and there were many people that were concerned that she wasn't doing so well. But Joe would have been rough and tough, and that doesn't mean he would have defeated Trump. Because I don't believe he would have. He would have been a different candidate to be sure. But I don't believe he would have. He certainly would not have pulled more votes from women voters than Hillary. He wouldn't have pulled more black votes than Hillary did. He wouldn't have done better with those demographics than Hillary did. He wouldn't have done better with Hispanics than Hillary did. She did did great. Okay, she wasn't a dud. She did great with those demographics. Basically had them enslaved. (laughs) But uh, anyway, now we can look forward to Joe being a candidate next time around. If the Democrats can come up with a candidate that they prefer, you know, the inner circle behind the scenes, if they can come up with a candidate or candidates that they prefer to Joe, younger, different ethnicity, different sex, so on and so forth, they certainly will. Like the senator from Massachusetts. But anyway, Joe is letting everybody know right now, this early on, not even four months into Trump's presidency, that he is ready to become president. He's ready to run for president for the good of this nation, even though he didn't say he's going to. No, he is a smoother politician than that. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done, in case you didn't hear the initial introduction. Well, while... President Trump is on his big trip to the Middle East and to Europe. First stop being Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, where he's got a big speech on his big trip. And then he has a few other stops, including Israel, Israel, (laughs) the nation which apparently provided intelligence that he passed along to arch-enemy of Israel, Russia. 
But then what do you expect our president to do? After all, when you consider what previous presidents have done to Israel, (laughs) oh, I know Israel gets trade and funding and so on and so forth. But previous presidents have stuck it to Israel over the years. And to me, the most, there were so many egregious examples of it. It's just hard to know where to start. Jimmy Carter horribly compromised Israel, horribly compromised Israel. Richard Nixon did not provide the support that Israel needed in a timely fashion, but when Israel was attacked, murderously attacked, in 1973, he did then provide airlift of supplies post-haste to Israel. Ronald Reagan, I mentioned before that there was one thing that I thought was so reprehensible that it constituted an impeachable offense. I know nobody else in this nation would undoubtedly (laughs) agree with me except for members of the families of the Marines that were slaughtered over in Beirut, Lebanon. But Yasser Arafat, that Nobel Peace Prize winner, had headed up a campaign of terror, a reign of terror for eight years in Lebanon, slaughtering Christians, slaughtering Muslims who didn't support him, welcome him with open arms and support him. Slaughtered babies, children, young people, mothers, Fathers. It was an organized campaign of rape of the nation. You've heard of the rape of, what was it, Peking or Nanking or whatever by the Japanese against the Chinese going back (laughs) World War II days. Well, this was the rape of Lebanon. And even though pregnancy rarely results from rape, the campaign of rape was so rampant that hundreds of thousands of babies were conceived. You know, we heard about all this terrible ethnic cleansing in the Baltics, right? Haven't heard a word, a syllable about it in Lebanon by Yasser Arafat's PLO versus the people of Lebanon. But anyway, after these eight years, Israel invaded Lebanon. And Israel surrounded Yasser Arafat and his army of at least 40,000 Islamist terrorists 
and Ronald Reagan demanded that Israel stand down, that Israel retreat, that Israel permit Yasser Arafat and his torturous, rapacious, murderous gang of 40,000-plus that Israel permit them safe passage. After they had accomplished this reign of terror over the Lebanese people for eight years, Ronald Reagan did that. And to ensure the safety of Yasser Arafat and his destroyers, Ronald Reagan sent our Marines to Beirut. And perchance you recall that we lost, I don't recall the number, uh, something on the order of 285 comes to mind, and I'm probably off significantly. But we're blown up by terrorists, Hezbollah terrorists, I believe. Now, Ronald Reagan did not intend that to happen. Ronald Reagan did not envision that happening. Ronald Reagan had no foreshadowing of that happening, but Ronald Reagan was responsible for that happening. Furthermore, Ronald Reagan was responsible for Yasser Arafat and his monstrous army of destroyers escaping and continuing to commit evils like they had been committing for the past eight years. That's on Ronald Reagan. And if I'd been in Congress, I would have asked for impeachment of Ronald Reagan, even though Ronald Reagan is my favorite president of the past uh, century. And when I say century, I'm not... I'm talking about going back 100 years, okay? But Richard Milhouse Nixon, I mentioned before that Monica Crowley, who has appeared here, there, and wherever, uh, certainly on Fox a lot, but on other programs, and who was sister-in-law to Alan Combs, recently deceased, Alan Combs, talk show host, and what have you. Leftist par excellence, uh, if excellence is the word. Leftist as could be, even though supposed to be such a bright guy, such a good guy, but just an extreme leftist, as all leftists are. But Monica Crowley worked for Richard Milhouse Nixon. And came to appreciate him deeply, respect him and revere him. I feel differently about Richard Nixon. Not about Richard Nixon the man, but Richard Nixon the president. 
Richard Nixon, the president, was responsible for so many terrible things. When I say terrible, I don't mean for that word to be likened to terrorism, that sort of thing. But terrible, I mean just horrible things. The enormous increase of governmental power and control over the American people. Regulatory control, bureaucratic control. His Supreme Court nominations, who (laughs) uh, did all kinds of damage to this nation. His peace with honor. You remember his peace with honor? The panic retreat from Saigon, from Vietnam, from Saigon, leaving our allies who had fought bravely, valiantly, courageously, risking their lives, their sacred honor, their treasure for their families and loved ones and for a free Vietnam, leaving them to hang out to dry, leaving them behind. And with our Marines, our forces, leaving in a dead panic retreat. Not to be blamed on our Marines, our military, but on the White House on the president, on President Richard Milhouse Nixon. And while I might take issue with many of the political, bureaucratic, military leaders up the chain, certainly not the men on the ground. And leaving prisoners of war in hell holes and leaving families in abject suffering for decades thereafter. Peace with honor. How many Vietnamese families were slaughtered, torturously slaughtered, thanks to Richard Milhouse Nixon's peace with honor. How many American prisoners of war were murdered since they were forgotten, an afterthought, since the nation of the United States of America was not going to support them, protect them, defend them, rescue them. And how many that were not murdered, suffered much more greatly. But Richard Milhouse Nixon, he had a big trip too, do you remember? Like Donald Trump's big trip, but much, 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 much bigger. Donald Trump, after Saudi Arabia and Israel, he's going up to Italy, to Vatican City, for an audience with the Pope who hasn't been entirely supportive of the president. And then on up to Europe and 
having a summit there with NATO or NATO allies and so forth. And then back to the United States, he will come. But Richard Milhouse Nixon went to Red China, bloody Red China, murderous, horrible, heinous, communist regime of Mao Zedong. Pronounced a number of ways, but that'll have to do for now. And clinked champagne glasses with Mao and laughed and chortled and wined and dined with the great destroyer. While our prisoners of war were tortured in prisoner of war camps in North Vietnam, our wonderful, objective major media elites, our wonderful, beneficent, benevolent, Network news giants, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, somehow or other they failed to get it as far as what an enormous role bloody red communist China played in Vietnam. It was Korean War 2.0. And they failed to note the role that the Soviet Union played there. Again, it was Korean War 2.0. And Richard Milhouse Nixon, he opened the way to China. He rewarded bloody red China. And he imagined how it's possible to have such vanity and blindness and ignorance is beyond me, but you might reference the current president. He imagined that that he was honored in China, not laughed at derisively, not despised and viewed as a coward, among other things. But, of course, many businessmen were pleased. It opened the way to that great Chinese market for their goods, even though the Chinese people couldn't afford any of their goods. (laughs) But what it did is it enabled the communist Chinese regime to enrich itself at the expense of the United States of America, at the expense of the American people. Not exactly a win-win. But these blind, self-serving, materialistic, big businessmen imagined otherwise just as the president and the president's men did and sold this nation down the river as it sold South Vietnam down the river. And there were other things. The strategic arms limitation talks and President Nixon not only 
stopping dead in the tracks additional, not only development, but production of military technology, but also pulling the plug on technology we already had in place. The most advanced radar systems that we had up in Alaska removed them. All in the name of peace. He made the United States to some degree defenseless. But he was a great man. He should have been impeached for all of that. But not for Watergate. Watergate was trivial. Absolutely, utterly, totally trivial. The same as with Al Capone and tax evasion. And I haven't even gotten into all of the evil, the other evils that he enabled and allowed and permitted Dr. Strangelove, Dr. Henry Kissinger to do. Even though, of course, Henry Kissinger played a vital role in all of these evils, (laughs) all of these foreign evils, which had such devastating consequences for the nation as a whole. But as National Security Advisor and Secretary of State, Dr. Henry Kissinger had his fingers in all of these things, and he had Dick Nixon, Tricky Dick Nixon. Well, it wasn't Tricky Dick. It was Tricky Henry Kissinger had Richard Nixon tied around his finger. Nixon was a puppet for Kissinger. Well, a different secretary, not secretary of state, but defense secretary, James Mad Dog Mattis. Do you remember President Trump being so delighted, delighted with this Mad Dog name? attributed to James Mattis, General Mattis. To me, it wasn't uh, something that struck me as uh, impressive. (laughs) But anyway, the president was thoroughly delighted with it. So he is our defense secretary. Well, our defense secretary seems to be pretty much at the helm of deciding what's going to happen relative to North Korea. And he stated that North Korea military solution would be tragic on an unbelievable scale. Any military Option, any military solution, any military action against South Korea's opponent, its vicious, ruthless, murderous other half across the DMZ, that it would be tragic on an unbelievable scale. Now, He did not 
bother to clarify what he meant by that. And so I don't know what he means by that. I can say this, is that the North Korean military numbers more than a million. Take away the North Korean military, take away the Christians that are in concentration camps, and about all you've got left is the farmers in North Korea. There's not a lot else. It's a massive army, and they have a massive submarine force. And the DMZ, the demilitarized zone, is such an interesting name because along the demilitarized zone, there is such an enormous military mountain of weapons and munitions that armaments that it's just staggering. This idea, which I had mentioned before, the idea that then the United States of America could make a conventional strike against North Korea. Because heaven forbid that it would use nuclear weapons, and I'm all on board with that. I hate nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons are something less than precise, shall we say, right? Nuclear weapons will slaughter multitudes of civilians. Now, the population in North Korea is less civilian than in typical nations, but it will slaughter, indiscriminately slaughter, vast multitudes of citizens. And, of course, because of the enormous concentration of population in South Korea right up by the DMZ in Seoul, Korea, the capital and so forth. South Korea, apart from everything that's going to be unleashed against them, just the blowback from nuclear weapons would be devastating. But I do not believe that Mattis was referring specifically to destruction of South Korea or limiting it to that or Japan. I think he was referring to much more than that. And certainly that would include just annihilation of the North Korean people. So it is an untenable situation. It is horrible. But then he goes on to say, well, so that what we need to do, we need to seek you know, alternatives. And so we need to work with China. We need to work with Japan, work with South Korea to try to find a way out of this situation. Well, that's nice. But South Korea has no leverage with North Korea. Japan has no leverage with North Korea. Only bloody red China, the bloody red communist Chinese regime of China and Putin's regime in Russia and the Russian Federation, only they have leverage over North Korea. So this matter of working with Japan, working with South Korea, kiss that goodbye. That's just a a pipe dream there. And furthermore, Bloody Red China and Russia 
If they desire to overthrow the United States of America, what better way than to start it off in North Korea? Have the United States engage fully with North Korea. Use up a great stockpile of weapons. Have all focus totally on North Korea. And maybe North Korea even gets in a couple lucky blows. And then Communist China and Russian Federation can attack the United States and divvy up the spoils. Perhaps not. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.